Come on, give him a shout of worship in this place. I believe the words of that song just to be so true. Amen. Anybody here that he's your cornerstone? I think the kids just did an amazing job as always. Amen. But that song, every time I hear it, it just resonates in my heart that he's Christ in the storm. He's Lord. He makes the weak strong. Amen. And so our prayer is that you're strengthened today in our time of worship as we continue in this sermon series. Come on, bow your heads right now. I believe God has a specific word for every single one of you guys today. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before your presence asking you, God, that you would just have your way. We open our hearts. We open our ears. We open our minds to you, Father God, wanting you just to take control and speak your word into our hearts, God. Would somebody just say, God, open my ears that I may hear your word. In the midst of my circumstances, I only want to hear you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I would ask you to give me your attention today and not be distracted by anything. Amen. I really believe that God just wants to speak to some hearts tonight, uh, this morning. I'm going to be talking about the second I am statement of Jesus. Before I go into it, I, I remember when I was younger, a little boy, I would say little man, but uh, I was yesterday. When I was younger, somebody say younger. And being a poor family, we didn't have much to do in the realm of fun. Uh, there was no video games at the Burgos house, and there wasn't television until I was about 14 or something like that. And, and what we did, believe this or not, what we did for fun is my father would take us and put us all in the car. And we would drive and drive. This is back when gas was cheap, amen. And we would just drive to no end. And you knew it was a good ride when you got lost. We would be like, come on, Dad, drive till we get lost. Dad, drive till we're lost. Are we lost yet? No. We would drive in the backwoods of Monroe. We would drive into the backwoods of, of Derby and Bethel. We would go all over the place, and, and we would see deer here and deer there, and we would try and feed deer donuts and stuff and all types of foolishness. But you knew it was a good ride when you lasted 10 or 11 at night. And you were really legitimately lost. This is before the realm of GPS, folks. This is before all of that stuff. Bust out your iPhone and where I'm at, Siri. No, this is like, this is like Aerostar Ford 1993. Looks like out of Star Trek Voyager. And he would get lost and we would do it on purpose. And then you got to realize in the back roads of Monroe, there were no streetlights. Somebody said, mm-hmm. I was driving back from Chicago this past September, October, around there, and I, I was driving. There was a stretch of highway that there was fog, and there was no lights on the highway. It was the devil's playground. And so then my dad would take, and, and, and he would, at different intervals, he would shut off the headlights. And we're driving in the pitch black, and I'm no, Daddy, no, put the lights back on! What am I going to die? And you knew it was a really good ride when mom was in the front seat telling you scary stories while dad's turning off the headlights. My parents had this thing about just scaring us. They told me one story when we were at the house with a bunch of kids and they were telling us about this murderer who would, who would chase people with knives and he had his head wrapped up in aluminum foil. And then next thing you know, my brother, he's, he's in the kitchen, he's wrapping his head in foil and all the kids from the church are in my living room and we're like, oh my God. And then Ruben knocks in the window ah! and we're all just screaming. You know you got good parents when they're scaring the daylights out of you. We didn't have to get beat that much. It just scared us. I was too afraid to act wrong. And so dad would take and turn off the lights and, and then he would turn them back on and, and he would turn them on. I don't like being in the dark too much. I'm not, I, I, went to, I went to an amusement park. As you know, it's a water park that I go to. And I went to a water park some years ago and I remember climbing up and every ride looks good from the bottom. But when you get to the top, it doesn't look that good of an idea to get on this ride. And I got on this ride. I'm going somewhere. I got on this ride, and I'm about, it's one of those inner tube rides where they put you in a pipe. 
But there was a couple different pipes to go through. And two of the pipes were enclosed, which just means it was just you were in the pipe and that was it. And I'm like, I don't want to go on that pipe. That's going to be dark. And so they, they put me on that pipe. And it was a dark blue pipe, so no sunlight was getting through. And they, they launched me in, you know, just going. And after the first turn where I couldn't see where I was going, I was like, I don't like this ride. This ride's not for now. I wasn't screaming for fun. Like, yeah. I was like, ah. Same pitch, same thing. You had to just tell the tone was just scared for my life. And, and I, remember, I remember being in this ride, much like I was in my dad's car, not knowing if we were going to go left and not knowing if I was going to go right. Not knowing if there was a bump coming or if I was going to drop down into some other type of darkness. And eventually, I pop out the tube of this ride. And because I didn't know how close I was to the end, because I had my eyes closed, I fell off my inner tube. Just like fell off and just into the water, looking all dumb, rolling out. It's like, oh, 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 oh my gosh. And I remember, I remember when I was a kid, my mom always had to have a plethora of, of, of just nightlights in my room. So I was about, I would say maybe 11, 12 years old. I couldn't sleep without a nightlight. I was just afraid of the dark. And this week I was reading my Bible in John, the eighth chapter in verse 12, where Jesus says, he says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me does not have to walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I remember as I read that, all these stories that came to my mind about how much I hated the darkness. And Jesus is telling this He's saying this to, his, to the people of Israel during what is called the Feast of Tabernacles. In chapter 7, he's shown up in Jerusalem, and all these things have transpired, and he's been teaching, and people have been testing him, and he's been teaching. And the Feast of Tabernacles is really interesting because what it was was a feast where they would celebrate two things that God had done. They would celebrate first the water that came from the rock. They would celebrate the water that came from the rock, Second thing is they would celebrate the pillar of fire that rested with the children of Israel in the desert for 40 years. They would celebrate these two things. And in the temple courts, they would have these huge candelabra, and they would have these, these big bowls of oil, just ginormous bowls of oil, and they'd put a wick in there, and they would light it on fire. And, and rabbis would say that it was so bright at night that it would light all of Jerusalem. And there would be people all outside the city walls, and they called it the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles because people would make little makeshift homes, little tents and little tabernacles, and they would sleep in the streets in these tabernacles and in these booths, and they would sleep all around. And it was at this feast where they were celebrating this great pillar of fire, where they were showing this light. There was a huge celebration and ceremony, and people would have been dancing and rejoicing, and Jesus stood in the midst of them and said, you're celebrating the past light, but I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me doesn't have to walk in darkness. In essence, Jesus is saying, you're celebrating everything I've done and not what I am doing. Some Christians are so stuck on what God has said, they're missing what God is saying. When I was younger, the preacher used to read a scripture in the Bible, and he would stop reading and start preaching, and I would keep on reading. And one day God told me, you're realizing that you're missing what I'm saying because you want to read what I said. That's too deep for y'all. There's a time and a place for all. And the people of Israel were missing their time. They were stuck in this religious system. And Jesus was declaring, I am this light that you're celebrating. I am the light of the world. And any man who follows me, somebody say follows me, he will not walk in darkness. I am the light of the world. Once again, Jesus lays claim to deity because the Bible says that in the morning, the pillar of fire would turn into a cloud. And oftentimes, they could look up, if you read the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers, and the angel of the Lord, meaning Jesus, the word of God, was hiding in the pillar and he was guiding them. And at night, he would just turn into a pillar of fire. And it was an amazing miracle that God had done for Israel. And there was Jesus declaring, I am the light of the world. He did not say, I am one of the lights. He did not say, I'm kind of like this light. He didn't say, I'm similar to this. He said, I am the. Meaning the only one worth talking about 
John chapter 1. It's an amazing piece of scripture. And in verse 4, he says this, in him, talking about Jesus, there was life. And that life, Jesus, was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And I love this part. And darkness has not, somebody say not. That word not, this, word, this whole phrase, and darkness has not, it means that till this day, till the time that he wrote this. Now, John wrote this 60 years after Jesus' passing, and he says, and the darkness has not. So 60 years later, it yet has not overcome the light of Jesus. He declares Jesus is the light of all men. In other words, he's equating the life that is in you that wakes you up in the morning, the Ruach and Spirit of God. He's equating it to Jesus, and he says Jesus is this light that is in you. He is the light that animates your movements. All other light on the earth is just borrowed from Jesus. Every form of power and energy is simply borrowed from God. He says he is the light. John declares the darkness has not overcome it. He is the source of life. He is the source of light, and nothing can overcome it. Are you with me today? John declares that darkness has not overcome the light. The natural property of light, the natural thing that it does is the moment. Manny, are you up there? Could you kill these stage lights for me really quickly? Could you just do that favor for me? The moment light comes on, darkness has to go. But the moment that light goes off, shadows come about you. And there's places in the backstage you can't see. Every time I walk backstage, Ricky has to bust out his flashlight and he has to guide my path because if it was not for that, I would trip on the things that were there that were meant to do a good thing. Sometimes you can fall on good things. Sometimes you can get so stuck on doing good things for God that you're not following the light of his word. Following the light of seeking after him and following the light of Jesus. But once the light comes, Manny, that's the cue. You're going to turn these lights back on. There's less shadows. Cameras need light. You can't take a good picture in the dark. If you do, there's going to be shadows all over the place. And when God looks at us, he needs to inspect us with the light of Christ. He needs to shine his light on us to see where the darkness was in our lives. And when you shine light, darkness cannot overcome it. Darkness can't get darker, but light can get brighter. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Genesis 1-3. I was the light that shone forth when the Father said, let there be light. During this celebration, people were dancing and celebrating all that God had done. But Jesus said, I am the current light. I am the only true light. Just like, just like the, the earth only has one sun that lights up our Milky Way galaxy. One sun, the one star in our galaxy. Jesus says, I am the light of your life. I am the only thing that will bring you life. I am the only thing that will bring you fulfillment. I am the only thing that will remove shadows and cast out darkness. I am the only thing and everything else is a lie. The world will try to make you think like there are other forms of light and guidance. Christians all over, all in your lives, looking at horoscopes and astrological signs, and I'm a Capricorn, and I'm a this, and I'm a that. No, you can't guide yourself by the words of men. You can't guide yourself. And yet, and yet we've learned to watch the stars and watch the planets to see what's going to happen in our lives rather than follow the creator of the star and the creator of the planet and the creator. You ought to understand that. We're too busy worshiping creating things and not the creator. And we say, I'm a this and I'm a that. And when you claim that thing, you reject Christ because you're supposed to be a follower of Christ. Not a follower of your daily horoscope. Why would you want to follow something they call horror scope? They name it like that for a reason because when you follow the words of men, it is horrible. And Psalms chapter 1 verse 1 declares this, Blessed is the man who does not sit under the seat of the counsel of the ungodly. The first Psalm, the first verse, they say, Blessed is the man who does not follow the words of those who have no godly wisdom. The opposite of that would be is this, Cursed is the man who follows those who don't have godly wisdom. Yes, I just said that when you read that stuff and claim it over your life, you are cursing your life. You are opposing the work of Christ who hung on a cross and became accursed for you 
so that you would not have to go through these things. Don't be fooled by the fake lights of the world. Don't be fooled. This I am also, just like last week, Jesus mentions two promises in this I am statement. And the first is this. Those who follow me will not walk in darkness. Darkness all throughout scripture is just a a metaphor and a symbol of other things. I've categorized them into four areas. They're not the only things they stand for, but they're four that God impressed upon my heart. The first being the darkness of sin. The darkness of sin. Ever since the fall of Adam, church, you have sin in you. And the whole church said, that's right. We have sin in us. It's in our flesh. Literally, it's in our mind. It's grained into us. And constantly, you have battled sin and its power over you. Prior to the coming of Jesus, we were prisoners of sin. Prisoners of our proclivities and prisoner to the things that bound us. Almost every person in this room at one point or another has struggled with sin and battled against sin and lost against sin. We tried hard to be good, but yet good wasn't good enough and found ourselves doing bad all the while we were trying to do good. We tried every which way to rid ourselves of all the problems we had and all the bad mindsets we had, but we were trapped by sin, much like God spoke to Cain when he had killed his brother. And he said, Cain, do you not realize that sin is crouching at your door and it desires to master you? It desires to take control of you. It desires to manipulate you. It desires to use you like a puppet. It desires to be your master. That's the goal of sin. The darkness of sin, it shrouds the mind and it darkens our thoughts. It blinds us to the will of God and it makes us okay with an ordinary life. One of the traps of sin is to get you to shape God's word around your sin. It gets you to feel like, well, well, I'll put God in this box because what God says about my sin doesn't matter when I think it's not a sin. And so because I think it, I don't care what God thinks. That's the darkness of sin. It shrouds your mind, which is why it's so easy for some Christians to keep on stepping outside the will of God because your, your conscience is not seared by the Holy Spirit, yet it's still working from an unrenewed mind of the world, a darkened mind bound by sin. Romans 6.16 declares that we become enslaved to sin when you offer your body to sinful things. Well, how do I offer my body? When you willingly go forth and you sin, you become a slave to sin. Because whatever you offer yourself, Romans 6.16, you allow it to master you. We are plagued by this darkness, and this daily darkness blinds us. I wish somebody would be honest and say, I deal with the darkness of sin in my life. I deal daily with this thing. I haven't fully turned it over to Christ. For those in Christ, this darkness constantly would try to snuff out the light of Jesus in you. This darkness will always try to shroud your life. It'll always try to creep in like a fog. It'll always try to come slowly and not blind you completely but little by little. Have you ever been driving on the highway and one stretch of highway in Bridgeport was clear but once you get to the swampy parts of Stratford, you begin to see fog on the highway. And that's how sin often is. It really collects itself in certain areas of your life. You you won't sin while you're here at church. But you'll sin driving in your car. You'll sin maybe in your house. And you'll lose control of your mouth all throughout the week, but not, not while you're in church. And that is the darkness of sin. It tricks you. It tricks you into thinking that some things aren't wrong or some things aren't bad. The darkness of sin will put the Christian in every manner of ungodliness possible. It starts small like a cancer, but it'll grow out of control if not put in check. Because the problem is, if you keep on sinning while the Holy Spirit is speaking soon, you will not begin to hear the voice of the Spirit no more. You keep on hearing the voice of sin over the Spirit, and what was once a struggle will become a stronghold. Because we haven't surrendered to God. There's the darkness of unbelief. The darkness of unbelief is centered on two major lies. And those lies are this. One, that God is not. And two, that God cannot. 
The darkness of unbelief says this, that God does not exist. It says God is not. It makes you question the validity of God at every avenue. It makes you wonder if God is real. It makes you wonder if God will help you. It makes you wonder if God cares about you, if he is real. And if he does care about you, why doesn't he help you? Unbelief will murder your faith. Unbelief will constantly want proof of the existence of God. It will constantly uh, cast doubt and shadows over every act of God in your life. And instead of it being God, it'll be chance or it'll be karma. But there is no chance and no coincidence and no karma when it comes to God. Every good and perfect thing in your life comes from above, the Bible says. But we give too much credit to the world, to the positive energy of our households. We give too much permission in our lives to the New Age movement of just the forceful energy of Mother Earth. If there is or ever was, which there is not a Mother Earth, she's working for God. Because everybody and everything gains authority from God. And the darkness of unbelief tries to surround us with so many things to make us question God. To question if he's real, and if he is, why does he hate you? Unbelief like that of Peter, that when you step out in faith, will make you sink in the water because you're not fixated on God, and unbelief creeps in. Unbelief like that of Thomas, who demanded to see the scars of Jesus before he would ever believe that he was. But Jesus said, this blessed is he who can believe and yet does not see. And everyone wants to see God. If God does this, then I will. No, no, no. That's not the character of God. The character of God is when you do, I will. He doesn't give. This isn't welfare. He doesn't give the promise before you give him your heart and his will in your life. The darkness of unbelief. Jesus said, blessed are they who believe but yet not do not see. This darkness of unbelief tries any which way to make you doubt his word, doubt his promises, doubt his love, and doubt his will. Just like Satan in the garden when he says to Eve, he said, did God say? Maybe one day in the quiet of your prayer closet, one day when God was moving in your spirit, one day when God was working in you, one day when you were on fire for God, God whispered a promise to your life and you claimed it. And then when you didn't see it happen, Satan creeps in and he says, hey, Melvin, did God say? Did God say he would or did he mean this? And Satan will try to tempt you, and Satan will try to manipulate you. And like I told my CityLink on this past Wednesday, the definition of temptation is any promise that does not come from God. It's temptation of the enemy. Because everything that comes from God comes with a promise. And God's word is so true that the promises are yes and amen. Unbelief hinders the working of God. In order to come to him, we must have faith. But darkness of unbelief is the murderer of faith. And Jesus couldn't even do miracles in his hometown due to unbelief and lack of faith in him. And let me tell you, if Jesus had a problem doing miracles in his hometown because of unbelief, you're going to have a hard time praying because of unbelief, let alone doing miracles. And you wonder why you can't pray because you haven't addressed the issue of unbelief. But if you can do away with doubt and unbelief, you'll understand why you're praying and who you're praying to and what is at stake when you do not seek God the way he's called you to. The darkness of unbelief. Unbelief hinders the working of God. It will paralyze your faith like it did to Thomas, and it will sink your dreams like it did to Peter. Unbelief and doubt are twin devils from hell that will take your mind for a wild ride, and it will make you waste the years of your life. The number one purpose of unbelief and doubt is not to get you out of church. The number one purpose of unbelief and doubt is not to get you to walk away from God. It is to make you ineffective in God and to become lazy in Christ and to become another seat. Filled, but not a soul working the kingdom. Unbelief centers on everything God has not done in your life. At the core of all sin is selfishness. 
And at the core of unbelief is selfishness, that God has not done what you think God should do, and God has not done what you think God should act, and he doesn't act in ways you think he should. He doesn't bless you the way you think he should. And because he has not met your standards, you will not meet his. That's unbelief, and that is sin. The darkness of unbelief will shroud your mind and paralyze your faith and you will never step out in faith because you are afraid of what if you are afraid of what will happen if you stepped out in faith you are afraid of what would happen if you acted out the way God told you to, to pray the way he asked you to the to go pray for that person on the street you saw if he asked you to lay hands on them doubt and unbelief paralyze you from seeing God move let alone having a close intimate relationship with God this next one is a big one I'm going to take a water break hold on if you haven't got your seatbelt on, put it on now. You might get upset with me. This one's the darkness of ignorance. And there's no reason in God's green earth the church should be ignorant in this day and age where you can hop on this thing called Google and type in whatever you want to learn about God. The darkness of ignorance is dangerous. Ignorance of God is due to two main reasons. First, we haven't been taught. And secondly, we're too lazy to get ourselves taught. Both stem around the same problem. Ignorance can result in a legalistic view of God, a view of God that does not just, it just shows a one-sided version of God as being angry or God as just being too loving. Or we say, well, a loving God wouldn't do this or an angry God shouldn't do that. And ignorance as to who God is changes our view of God because we've not taken the time to open his word and to seek after him and to learn about him. Unbelief. And ignorance work in tandem because unbelief says God is not. And ignorance says, well, God, I don't know. I can't say. Ignorance of the word of God. Ignorance of the character of God. Ignorance. You're just ignorant because we don't want to take the time and sacrifice and seek God and know God. Ignorance tries to camouflage itself inside of our sins. And we say, I'm not an alcoholic. I have a sickness. Ignorance tries to camouflage itself. I'm not a sodomite. I'm living an alternate lifestyle. And ignorance, it just tries to, to really hide itself and camouflage itself. And ignorance will keep you far from God's heart for your life. And ignorance will keep you away from the truth of God. Because when you don't know about God, you can't say anything about God. Ephesians 4, Paul says this in verse 17, I tell you this and insist on it to the Lord, in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do, meaning sinners, in the futility or the wastefulness of their thinking. Verse 18, they are darkened, somebody say darkened, in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Ignorance is due to the hardening of our hearts. How do you harden your heart? You harden your heart by not being open to what God wants to say to you, to what God wants to do with you, and to what God wants to do through you. You harden your heart. And then he says this, having lost all sensitivity, meaning to the Holy Spirit, to Father God, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Church, ignorance hardens your heart towards God and drives you into deeper waters of sin rather than of God. Ignorance is a killer in the church. People unwilling to learn about God, to take time to sacrifice, to study the Bible, draw near to God. Churches are full of people who love God but yet don't even know God. And you crack me up saying when a person meets a girl two months later, want to get married. That's so foolish to try and marry somebody you don't even know. And yet we want to get raptured. We want to go to heaven and meet a God you don't even know. Because the Bible says that we, the church, are the bride of Christ. Do you know him the way he's called you to? Last but not least is darkness of death. This darkness is one of the, one of the, there's no coming back from this one. 
This is the eternal damnation darkness. I'm not talking about when you die. I'm talking about what the Bible says is the second death, when you are cast into damnation because you did not come to God the way he called you to. And to this darkness, there is no end, but there is a solution, and his name is Jesus Christ. For he said in John 3.16 that any who would believe in me would have eternal life. To those living in Christ, to die is gain. To those living outside of Christ, when you die, it is damnation. I'm so sorry to tell you, if you're not serving God, that that is what awaits us. That's the 100% unadulterated, non-sugar-coated truth that if you're not serving God, you're serving the enemy. If you're not serving the creator, you're destroying, you're rather uh, serving he who has destroyed creation. You are serving either one or the other. But Jesus said, if you believe in him, you should have eternal life. And eternal means forever. These are just four of the manners of darkness that work in unison and harmony to distort your life and try their best to blind you and keep you from being in the light of God. But the promise of Jesus in this verse is this. It's this. Hear me out now, church. That any who follow me, do not have to walk in darkness. That's the promise of Jesus. You won't have to deal with those things when you walk in proper relationship with Jesus. He said in John 12, 46, I've come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. This is the promise you can live by. You will not remain in darkness. Darkness does not have a chance when you're walking with God. John said it best in John 1, 5, darkness has not overcome Jesus. Satan may try and attack you with unbelief, but if you reject it, he has no chance. He may try and come with sin, but if you stand strong in your faith, he has no chance to overcome the light. And the only time he can overcome it is when you flick the switch off and you slip back in to the world. Here's promise number two. I love this one. It says this, you will have, somebody say have, the light of life. Jesus declares you will have the light of life. I think immediately of Psalms 119 verse 105 where it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet. I love that. It's like he says, your word is a lamp unto my feet, meaning in the darkness I need a lamp and I need it at my feet because, because I am walking and if I don't have it, I will trip over something and I will fall. And David, not David, but the psalmist says that your word, Lord, is a lamp. Your word, and I, I love that because John chapter 1 verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and the word became flesh and all that good stuff. But in verse 4 it says, and that word was the light of life. And he says, your word, meaning Jesus, your word, your word, it guides my steps. Psalms 119 is one of the best scriptures for, for a young single Christian to read. It says, how, how, how will I stay pure? He asks all the difficult questions in that chapter. How will a young man stay pure? He gives you the answer. I will follow your word and your precepts. And I will stay true to you, God. And in verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet, meaning it lights the way when I don't know the way. It lights the way when darkness comes. It lights the way. I don't have to trip and fall because I have the word of God, the light of life that is with me. Do you have that light in your life or do you constantly find yourself bumbling about like someone who has no vision in the darkness? If you've ever been to a movie theater, you will see that at the movie theater, they have little LED strip lights. They turn all the other lights off. And no matter how bright the screen is, it doesn't offer enough light to walk. Because if it did, they would not have the lights on the floor. And the lights on the floor guide your step so that you don't look like a fool falling down in front of hundreds of people. Likewise, the word of God is to keep you from looking like a fool in your life, always falling 
back into the same thing, falling. And God's trying to talk to you, but you're falling. And God's trying to move in you, but you're falling. And God's trying to minister to you, but you're falling. Because you've not opened up the word of God and sought after him. And I believe everyone here wants something from God. But I want to challenge you that God wants something from you. And have you not realized that God has done enough? That if God never did another thing, that God has done enough. He doesn't have to earn or deserve nothing more from you. You should just give from the overflow of what he's given you. The psalmist said it best, your word is a lamp unto my feet. Somebody say a lamp. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. And I love this because he's talking about that when there is, somebody shout darkness. When there is darkness, I can open up his word. When the fog tries to come in, I can open up his word. And I can get down. And I can read it. And I can see. And his word is like a lamp unto my feet. Have you ever seen those commercials? For some of those car dealerships? Or maybe there's a commercial for the financial advisors, Ameritrade. And they say, well, what direction do I go in? And the little green arrow comes, and it guides them. And the green arrow, they want to go shopping, but the green arrow keeps them on track. And they want to go spend money, but the green arrow keeps them on track. You know what? They just make this. That's the word of God in your life. When you want to sin, no, because my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I got to keep going straight. When you want to act out, no, because God has redeemed me, and I am renewed in my mind. And no, because I am a new creation, and I don't have to act the way I used to. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you so much. You get it. I preach to you. His word is a lamp unto your... If you're tired of falling, open your Bible. If you're tired of sinning, read his word and renew your mind in the promises of God. If you're tired of not hearing from God, start praying. Okay, got three people there. (laughs) If you're wondering where God's at, he's probably wondering the same. The sinning man doesn't pray, but the praying man doesn't sin. That's deep for some of y'all. Get the, get the podcast. <laughs> you have the light of life, he said. And this light of life, it also gives you joy, and it gives you, it gives you peace, and it gives you salvation. Somebody say salvation. Psalms 36.9, it says this, For with you, talking about God, is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. In your light. I see light, meaning that when I see your light, I finally see true light. Do you realize that every single light in this auditorium, every single light in your home is a representation of Jesus? And the characteristic of light is not only that it dispels darkness, it reveals hidden things. You don't believe me? Go home to your sofa and bust the flashlight out and look under it. Go to the corner of your house, pull out your stove, and see what's in the back. Check what's hiding in the darkness. Go to the hotel room, because there's different kinds of light, and grab a black light. Uh, And start looking at the mattresses. And see how many people have been there. And see how many dirty and nasty things are on the cup or in the sink or on the toilet. What am I saying? That when you shine the light of Jesus, you realize I got a problem with my attitude. Oh, I've been hidden in the darkness to the fact that I have a filthy mouth. I've been hidden in the darkness to the fact that I have lustful thoughts. And when you come into the light of Christ, everything is made known to God. Because nothing is hidden from him. Which that is also the number one reason why folks don't want the light of Christ. Because the light of Christ exposes every error in your life. The ones you know of and the ones you don't. The ones you commit and the ones you omit. He said, he said that when the light of life is, he said this, he said this. If in John, James chapter, chapter one, I believe it is. He said, if, if, if you, if you hear the word of God, 
but don't do the word of God, you are like a person who looks in a mirror and walks away and forgets what you look like immediately. Now, that may not look or sound too bad, but I'll put it to you in our human context. Imagine this, ladies, that you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror after you've brushed your teeth. That's all you got done so far is brush your teeth. And you walk away from the mirror. You haven't put your eight pounds of makeup on. And all the girls said, not me. I don't wear makeup. I only wear foundation. Whatever. I only wear cover-up. Whatever you wear. Your lip gloss, your whatever, whatever it may be that you're wearing. You don't put it on yet. You haven't even got dressed. You haven't even done anything. You haven't even put on your favorite outfit. You haven't put on your favorite stuff yet. You're just, just frumpy, dumpty. That's it. And you walk away from that and you think to yourself, man, I am so good looking. And you go out like that. You come out of your house looking crazy, smelling funky, haven't showered, haven't bathed. You, you look crazy. Most folks won't recognize you without your face. Got your pajamas on, the ones with all the bleach stains you refuse to throw away. <laughs> Fellas, you got your favorite underwears on, the one with all the holes in it. You hadn't even put on no pants. And you walk away from that mirror and you forget what you look like. And you walk into your everyday life thinking you look right. That is what walking in the church and hearing the word of God and not applying it to your life looks like. You walk out not fixing your face. You walk out not fixing your heart. You read the word of God, don't do what it says, and you don't care. Because you think, have you ever saw somebody, have you ever seen somebody who you know they should not wear what they got on? Maybe somebody with a dress just too small or with a guy whose pants are just too low. Have you ever seen somebody who is wearing something they don't look good in? So have I. I've seen Christians walking around living in sin. I've seen Christians dressed in carnality. I've seen Christians dressed in all manner of the things of the world. Christians dressed, addicted to all the things the world has to offer, all the sparkling things, everything that glitters isn't gold, church. You're not looking at the light of Christ. You're looking at the things of the world, and they look so good to us. But if you would just compare it to a true light, a light of Jesus if you would just compare it to that, you would see that there is no comparison to that. I'll close with this. Jesus, he, he gave those two promises. He said, number one, you will not walk in darkness. You will not walk in darkness. And number two, he said, you will have the light of life. So let's say, number one, you will not walk in. And number two, you will have the light of life. Here's the problem with that scripture is that some of you are saying to yourselves, I'm still walking in darkness. Some of you are saying to yourselves, uh-uh, that sounds so good, little Pastor Lewis. <laughs> that sounds great. But I don't always have this light of life. As a matter of fact, this morning, I woke up upset. I, I, I'll explain it to you. Because there's three words in the beginning of this sentence that we always look over. It's funny how we always look over the conditions of the promises and only read the promises itself. And the condition is this. Here's the condition. Everything in that promise is hinged on three words. And it's these three words. Whoever follows me. And, and this word follows is an interesting word. It doesn't just mean do as I do. It means to accompany me. You just missed that. That's okay. Jesus is saying, whoever will take this walk, not by yourself. Not on your own. He said, he said, if you would accompany me. He said, Ed, 
if you would accompany me on this walk called your life, you would never walk in darkness again. He says, Sheila, if you walk with me on this journey of life, you will never, ever be in the dark and you will have light all the days of your life. He says, Irma, if you will walk with me, if you, would, if you will let me take you by the hand and walk with you and accompany you, you will never have to walk in darkness. And I want to challenge you that in the moments you find yourself in dark times, in the moments you find yourself in a place where there's no light, in a place where it's just nothing but turmoil and hurt, I want to challenge you. If you're dealing with unbelief and doubt, I want to challenge you. If you're dealing with sin and you're, you're looking at all these things in your life and you're saying, God, I just don't understand and God, I don't know why, I want to challenge you. You're not following Jesus. You're following the lies of Satan. That doesn't mean that everything with Jesus is perfect. No, that's not what it means. It means that when you have Christ, you're never lost because you're always home. Because in his arms, in his arms, you're protected. In his presence, there's nothing but joy. That's why the Apostle Paul says, be patient in trial. Be joyful during afflictions. Be happy when you're going through hell because you're only going through. That's, that's worth praising God for. Like I heard one preacher preach it. He said this. He said, I'm convinced that God's favorite word is through. I'm convinced God's favorite word is through because God always takes us through. One of my absolute most favorite verses in the entire Bible is Psalms 23, verse 4, where David says, Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And I love that because of that one word, through. David says, I am just walking through. I'm not going to live in this pain. I'm not going to live in this hurt. I'm not going to live in this destitution. I'm not going to live in this darkness. I'm not going to live in this brokenness. I'm only, I'm only passing through. Tell your neighbor, I'm just coming through. Tell the other person you ignored. Tell them, I'm coming through. God's favorite word is through. He takes us through trials and through tribulations. And the, the goal of God is not to take you to the cross. He wants to take you through the cross. But too many Christians stop at the cross and don't go through it. That's the condition of this promise. Jesus, he says, whoever follows me. Maybe, maybe, maybe you should put that on your Facebook wall. Maybe you should tweet that. Maybe you should put it on a paper and put it on your odometer by your, by a speedometer rather in your car. Every morning you see it and you see whoever follows me. He says, I am the light and whoever follows me. He doesn't say whoever sometimes follows. No, whoever follows, whoever fully follows me, whoever completely comes with me, whoever goes my way, whoever is with me, me, Jesus, God, me. If you're walking with me, you won't have this darkness. I'm living proof of when you walk with God, you won't have darkness because even the darkest times where it should be dark, there was still God and it, like that song says, he's Christ alone, cornerstone. He's God in the storm, and he's God when the sun comes out. I've seen so many highs and lows in my life in the past six years. Over the course of my life, as a, as a child, I saw highs and lows with my family. I saw all manner of things, but one thing I never saw was I never saw God abandon me. And when you walk with God, Scripture comes alive. And you can read a Scripture like David says, I've been young and I've been old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. And we say to ourselves, but man, I've looked forsaken and I've felt forsaken and I've had tough times. But if you walk with God, those scriptures will come alive because he'll come upon you and you will never walk in darkness because he'll be with you even when Satan comes. 
Your goal as a Christian should be that when Satan does come, he finds you with Jesus. He says, whoever follows me. Once again, that word follow, it means, it means whoever does what I do. I might get into some trouble here. Whoever loves like I love everlastingly. Whoever forgives like I forgive. Whoever seeks my father like I sought my father. Whoever does what I do. Whoever seeks my father, whoever does his will. I found another new favorite scripture. I, I promised you I'm almost done. It's John chapter 4, verse 34. This is my third closing now. That's okay. John chapter 4, verse 34. It says this, and I found it the other day, a couple of weeks ago. It says, my food, Jesus speaking, my food is to do the will of my Father. You all missed it. That's fine. I'll preach to this side. He said, my will, or rather my food, is to do the will of my Father. Meaning I am fulfilled, and I am full. And I am filled, and I am okay in life when I do my daddy God's will. And when I do his will, I don't got to worry about nothing. He wasn't talking about physical food. Spiritual nourishment comes from doing God's will. So I challenge you. Are you following him? Are you loving like he loves? Are you giving like he gave? Are you serving like he served? Are you living like he lived? Are you showing your neighbors love the way Jesus showed people love? Are you showing the random stranger on the streets love? Are you looking at people with eyes of compassion? And not just compassion that says, oh, I'm so sorry for you, but compassion that says, I'm here to help you. I am willing to make a step of faith with you. And whatever you need, I'll help you through. If it's within my power and my ability to provide it, I'll do it with you. Because that's what Jesus would have done. He said, whoever. Somebody say, whoever. That's the biggest word in this sentence, not just numerically with letters, but because of what it implies. It implies just what it says, whomever, whoever. It does not matter if you are sinful. It does not matter if you are the worst of the worst. It does not matter if you are far from God or close to God. Whoever starts following me, the moment you follow, whoever follows me, you shall not no longer be in darkness. Whoever. Do you know who whoever is? It's you. It's the people around you. Whoever is the people you hate. I had, I had a, a brother who came up to me, not a, a, a biological brother, a brother in the church, and he said to me jokingly, one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life, he said, Pastor, I got a list of people I don't want coming to my church. And I was cracking up so hard at that statement because I thought, to, I thought this person is probably 85% serious. Got a mental list of people. Why are you here at my church? I, I don't understand it. But here's the thing, you're all laughing, but I guarantee you there's somebody, if you saw them walking to this church, you would walk out. Everybody, almost, almost everybody got somebody who you would be like, I hope they don't stay. <laughs> I don't know if I want that person here. But we don't want people to have the same freedom we found. Do you love like he has loved? Would you be like he was and is and still forevermore. And here's the thing, here's the last thing about God is this, I love this part, that God is immutable and that's a giant word that says God's unchangeable. Other scripture says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what that means is Jesus says this, if you follow me, meaning if you are constant like I am constant, if you always do what I have called you to do, he didn't say you want to follow me when you want, and then we'll take a break every other week. You got to be constant in Christ. That's how you grow. You can't keep on pulling out your roots and saying, not this week, maybe next week. You've got to be constant in your faith, regardless of the things around you. That 
is the will of God. That is the promise of Jesus. I am the light of the world. And as he was telling these people, I am the light that guided your forefathers. He's saying to this church today, I am the light that can guide your life. I can guide your Monday. I can guide your Tuesday. And my word will be like a lamp unto your feet. Come on, church, stand with me on this afternoon. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, don't look around. Just focus in on yourself right now and on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the best part of the whole entire service. It's the opportunity for you to say, you know what, Pastor? I'm not following the way I should. Maybe I've never made that decision to follow Christ. But I don't want to be that individual walking in darkness anymore. I don't want to be an individual walking without the light of Jesus in my life. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask you a question. If you know that you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you lift your hand as high as you can? Thank you, thank you. If you've never made that decision, or maybe you have and you've walked away and you've not been following him the way you know you should, but today's message, it's hitting home because you want to walk with that light. Come on, lift your hand. I got about 10 or more hands raised. Come on, 11 and 12 and 13. Come on, come on, that's exciting. Come on, God is here. God is here. He's touching hearts. He's touching lives. Come on, you can put your hands down now. Is there anybody else and you're here and you say, Pastor, I used to, but I need a fresh wind of God right now. I have really been out of God's will in the last couple weeks, months. I started off so strong, but now I know that I am not where God needs me to be. Come on, if you're here to reconcile and you're saying, I want the light of life. I want to fall into the category of those who accompany and follow Christ, of those who work with his will. Come on, if that's you, lift your hand as high as you can. High as you can. Come on. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You want to walk this walk right. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, come on. Hands are going up everywhere. Somebody celebrate him in this place. Come on. Here's what I want you to do. Something a little different, a little strange. You can put your hand down. I want you to grab the hand of the person next to you on either side. Come on, grab somebody's hand and pray they don't have sweaty palms. Amen. This is just a sign that you are not alone. We're going to pray this prayer together as a church and the worship team is going to lift up a quick worship. But if you know this, you have to be aware of the darkness of sin, of unbelief, of ignorance and death. Come on, bow your heads right now. I want you to say authority and boldness. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you to offer you my heart, to offer you my life, and to accept your Son as my Lord and Savior. I believe with my whole heart, and I confess with my mouth that he is Lord and I believe that he died on the cross and paid the price for my sins and I surrender my life to you in Jesus name Father walk with me all the days of my life in Jesus name I pray would you do me a favor and lift your hands right where you stand. Don't move around. He's here right now. I sense the Holy Spirit working in hearts and minds. He's healing some people right now. He'll heal you in your body and he'll heal you in your heart if you allow him to. He's here right now. Don't worry about what time it is. Worry about what time God has for you right now. Come on, if you have to get your tongues, lift up your voices right now. Begin to create an atmosphere of the Holy Spirit to cultivate some works right now. Come on, lift your voices to Him. Just cry out to Him. Shout out to Him. God, I need you. God, I've been walking in darkness. Here I am. Here I am. Here I am right now. I need you to shine your light on.
on me. Come on, shine it out. Shine your light on me, God. God, work in my heart. Work in my life. I want to walk with you, God. Please see rough with praise. 